I do want to share, if that's okay, for a couple of minutes. Anybody love God's word? Come on, do you love God's word? I still believe, I still believe it's a lamp into our feet. I still believe it's a light into our path. I still believe that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, has the ability to divide the thickest of heads, everybody. That's what I believe. I know your Bible says soul and spirit and joint and marrow, but how many of you know we need a Bible to, to sometimes separate our thick head of that has gotten um, too much of the culture in there? We like lifestyle Christianity more than biblical Christianity. Come on, somebody. It's time for the church to come back to biblical Christianity. Anybody? I'm telling you, your life would, would uh, be going a lot probably better, if you will, if we had a little more word on the inside of us. Amen. And so I believe David is the one that would say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It wasn't enough for David to read it. It wasn't enough for David to write about it. It was enough for David to say, I need this more than I need air to breathe because the word of God is at times the only thing that gets us through. Amen. And what I want to share, just in this atmosphere, I know the piano stopped playing, so it feels like the Holy Spirit left, but I'm telling you, he's still here. And that wasn't a knock at Anderson. I love Anderson a whole bunch. But I'm not going to preach for long, but I do want to just unpack. I think Jesse about passed out when she got my verses. She knows I normally send pretty much the entire Old and New Testament and say, just wait till I call for it. But today, I just got one passage of Scripture for you, everybody. All right, we're going to go straight, simple, and to the point. If you got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And uh, how many of you have enjoyed this series on I Have a Conviction? Has it been ministering to you? I don't even know how many weeks we've been into it. And, um, but it's been blessing me. And if there's uh, something I have a conviction about, it's what I'm going to talk about today with you. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 13 in just a moment. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. And we're going to go verse by verse. And I'm just going to unpack it along the way. And uh, I'm going to tell you just a little bit of my story in the next 20 minutes together. Is that all right? So we're gonna read this and we're gonna pull some stuff out of it. In this story, you could argue that the center, the center we know of, of attention in the Bible, of course, is Jesus. But then at times in some of these interactions, we get these peaks, if you will, into these other people in the Bible. And especially as we read through the gospels, one of my favorite people to learn from, other than of course, Jesus, is Peter. Because Peter is the disciple who I would like to be at times, but if I'm honest, I'm not really a whole lot like Peter. Peter is a bit of the uh, risk taker. I'm all, I'm down for anything, I'm fun, but I'm gonna say yes to your idea, right? You know what I mean? And then I'm gonna have you go first, make sure you don't die, and then I'll go, right? You know, it's one of those. Uh, uh, many years ago, I went cliff jumping um, in a place that, let's just say, I don't think we were supposed to be cliff jumping, right? And we're thankful the authorities didn't know we were there. But you know, hey, his grace is sufficient, his mercy is new, right? And so I remember going cliff jumping um, with the, one of the craziest people I know, which is Pastor Mark Evans, which is uh, Pastor Ashley and Jane's oldest son, one of my best friends, he's planning a campus in Franklin right now. And he's like, we're gonna go camping. And I'm like, I hate camping, right? You know, my, my, um, my idea of camping is running water, electricity, uh, a toilet and a shower nearby. Come on, somebody, right? That's my kind 
So all you, okay, I see that hand. There's agreement in the house today. Okay, it's gonna be good times. That's my uh, definition of camping. Mark's definition of camping is like, we're gonna hike 17 miles. We're gonna carry our stuff above our head and wade through chest deep water to get to a remote island. And then we're gonna just build a fire. And if it rains and we're gonna freeze all night, but it's gonna be awesome. And I'm like, not my idea of fun. But I went one time to this place and I'll never forget going cliff jumping uh, with him off this old rickety um, piece of, what do they call this, a pallet. It was a pallet built, somebody just stacked some pallets together on the side of a cliff. I'm like, here, jump off this, right, you know, real safe. And I remember him, he was like, come on, Ryan, we gotta do it. I was like, great idea, you go first, you know. <laughs> and so he went and there was a few other guys. I was like, great idea, you go second, you know what I mean? Like. And then finally everybody had went and I was the last one to go. And I went and, f and fell for as long as it felt. I felt like I might as well jumped out of an airplane. It just felt like I was falling and falling. And so I'm that guy. And Peter, I feel like is more like my friend Mark, who was just like, who cares how shallow it is, you know? And it's like, <laughs> he didn't have as many kids as he does now. I bet you he would rethink that jump. But back then I think he only had Judah. I was like, I've already got two kids. They need a present father, right, you know? And so anyway, so when I look at Peter, I love learning from Peter because I feel like he, he's what I wanna be a little more like in the sense of just kind of out there on the front foot a little bit more. And, and it's, it's actually counter my nature. It's counter my personality. I, I like things just a little bit more reserved and when I get comfortable, sure, I'm, I'm ready to go with the, with the best of them. But I'm, I'm actually on the front foot as much of a people person and outgoing person I am. I like just to keep things a little bit more comfortable, a little more in my control. I've got, I realize as I've gotten older, I've got control issues. Anybody else realize you've gotten a little bit of control issues? And I can, we're gonna read a little bit of, of Peter and glean some stuff for those of us who have some control issues. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 reads this way. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is. Now it's important to know in Caesarea Philippi, this was not just like a casual place that you would find yourself, but rather there were all the altars, if you will, to all the pagan gods. So they're standing in the middle of every other thing that their culture worshiped. Every other God, every other deity, every other thing, there was altars of sacrifice. And he stood in the middle of all of that, in the middle of everything the world had to offer. And he looked at the disciples and asked just a, a very important question. Who do people say that I am? Verse 14, he says, well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Now this is funny because just two chapters earlier, John the Baptist is beheaded. So how could you be John the Baptist? He says, some say you're John the Baptist. He's like, it was fake. They faked his death like Tupac. No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> Tupac and Elvis are somewhere, right? And so some say, that shout out was for you, Wendy. She was, she's always down for my random references. All right, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And the reason why they would think that, because back in this day, they believed in reincarnation, right? And so they're like, okay, well, we know, we, I think I've seen you before. I know you died last week, but I think I just saw you. And, and so this is what just kind of the cultural belief. So it's not as random as it is when we read it. Verse 15, and then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon answered, you're the Messiah. The son of the living God. And although that's the right answer, he didn't fully understand what that meant. His, understand, his understanding, the Jewish people have been waiting thousands of years about this promised Messiah. That would become this earthly king and he would rule and reign. And he, Peter's sitting there going, look, I've been around you long enough, Jesus, to know that you're the guy that we've been waiting for. 
You're the guy who is coming and we are ready to take some people out. Like I can imagine Peter, he's heard for generations. It's a time that he was a, a child and now into his late teens, early 20s, as he's walking with Jesus, he's going, I know who you are. You're the man we've been hearing about. And you're gonna come and you're gonna lay down the law. Like I can imagine Peter be like, let's go. Like where the gun's at, where the stuff at, we're gonna take people out all in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? Like he was ready to throw some holy hands if he needed to. And Peter's ready to go. He says, you're the man, you're gonna rule. We're gonna form this army. We're gonna take over. I've got this conviction. I've got this understanding of who you are. And Jesus replies, he tells him, he says, you're blessed. Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. But now I say to you, this is where his name is famously changed, that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, upon this revelation, and then this great segue for a moment, he says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Can I tell you something today that the church that Jesus Christ builds, hell cannot conquer, government cannot conquer, schools cannot conquer, culture cannot conquer, sickness cannot conquer, war cannot conquer. He says all the powers of hell can't conquer the church that he builds. So he makes this wonderful guarantee. Verse 19, he says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And for whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he, watch this, sternly warned the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Messiah. Now let's pause here for a second. He just sat here and was like, okay, Peter's unveiled it for you. I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the promised one. Peter's like, let's go, we're ready to take some people out. We're ready to help you fulfill this mission. I can just imagine, it's like a pep rally with the disciples. Like, who's gonna win? You're gonna win, right? It's just like, if God be for us, who can be against us, right? They're just like, they're just ready to go. And he goes, hey, as excited as you are, I need you to keep your mouth closed. I need you not to tell anybody about this, but he creates this concentrated moment where he reveals himself to the disciples, but then lets them know, gives them a peek into what the mission is getting ready to be. Then it's important to know because then we jump to verse 21. It says, from then on, everybody say from then on. So from this encounter on, it says, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. Jesus stopped beating around the bush after that point in time. He said, you know, I'm just gonna start telling you plainly that it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem and that I, he would suffer, meaning Jesus is gonna suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, and he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now let's, let's just, once again, let's just put ourselves in the story for a moment. Peter's like, yeah, you're the Christ. And he goes, yep. And upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And they're really excited. And then he's like, hey, from this moment on, I'm just getting ready to tell you, I gotta go. I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be betrayed. I'm gonna get crucified. It's gonna get real dark and scary there for a minute, but don't worry, I'm gonna come back. Like that doesn't feel like the follow-up news 
to Jesus going, I'm the Christ and we're building a church that hell can't prevail against. Have you ever had God reveal something to you and then immediately afterwards, he's like, some things gotta go, some things, you're gonna lose some stuff, you're gonna go through some hard times and you're like, hang on a second, I thought we were ruling and reigning and you talking about stuff dying. And it ain't them dying, it's me dying, like what's going on? I don't know if you can relate at all, but I can imagine the mixed emotions that the disciples had, but we just always get a, we always get a glean. You never have to wonder when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John what Peter was ever thinking because the disciples were like, he's the only one talking. I'm gonna write that down. And then Peter said, you have lost your mind, right? You're like, it's, he's the one that gets quoted all the time. Why? Because he just wouldn't shut up, you know what I mean? It's like, well, Peter said, you know, and then there's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Thomas is on the outside going, I doubt it, you know? And, you know, it's just kind of, it's just, and there's a few of them, you're like, did they speak or were they mute? Like, we don't really hear them say anything in Scripture. But Peter, it feels like his commentary is everywhere in Scripture. And I can imagine just the rush that he had in that moment. But then from that moment of, once again, being told who he was, being told who God was, then Jesus going, hey, just so you know, the thing that you're leaning on the most, which is me, it's actually gonna look like, as a matter of fact, it's not just gonna look like, it's gonna die. I've gotta die. So then he goes on here, I love this. So after he says, he tells him he'd be killed on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead, but watch this. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Could you imagine reprimanding Jesus? Like, I know you're the son of God and everything, but hold up. <laughs> You've lost your mind. You ain't gonna die, they gonna die, we gonna take them out, we're your boys, we've got your back. He takes them aside, and that word reprimand, I looked it up early this morning when I was awake praying. It's the same word for rebuke. It's the same Greek word that in the next chapter, when Jesus casts a demon out of a little boy, it's the exact same word. Peter tried to rebuke the devil out of Jesus. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not doing so bad then. I ain't tried to do that. I thought I had it bad. Peter's like, come out in Jesus' name, you know, and get the holy water, whatever we got to do to rebuke. What? He begins to reprimand him for saying such thing. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen. I just want to be as confident as Peter, you know what I mean? I'm like, I mean, if it were me, be like, I mean, if you say so, I mean, okay. I'm gonna take a trip while you're dying, but I'm gonna come back on the third day. So it was like you never left, you know? And this is, and Jesus turned to Peter and watch this. He said, get away from me, Satan. How would you like to go from rock to Satan in a matter of about five minutes? <laughs> Peter went from the rock that Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church on to Lucifer. You know what I mean? It's just like, you thought you were having a bad day. Peter's having a bad day. Jesus turned to Peter, he said, get away from me, Satan, for you are a dangerous trap. You're a stumbling block, some translations would say, to me. For you are seeing things, watch this, merely from a human point of view, but not from God's. All the hell that you're feeling break out against your life right now and you're going, hang on a second. This doesn't look anything like what you promised. This doesn't look anything like what you said it was gonna look like. You, I felt like you led me on. You ever feel like 
you ever just have a, a moment of, in your flesh where you're like, you led me on? You tricked me, God? You, Brooke's the only one. She's like, yes, <laughs> yes, Lord. I know I'm going to get one in the altar today. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> She's like, I feel tricked right now. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't. Brooke loves America. Don't worry. She's not going back. Um, you ever feel like God tricked you? And here's Peter going, you tricked us, man. You did that whole water and the wine thing. You fed the 5,000, then you fed the 4,000, then you're spitting on people and you ain't getting slapped. But they're going, thank you, Savior. You know, like, you're doing all this stuff. You've tricked us into believing. And then now you have the audacity to say that you're going to die. That the thing that I'm leaning on, the thing that I'm trusting in, the thing that I found security in is going to be taken away from me? How does this make sense? And Jesus says, hang on a second. You need to understand you're seeing things from the wrong set of eyes. I heard a pastor many years ago say, I can't, you can't see what he sees because you're not standing where he's standing. God's looking at it above it all, in it all, through it all. I'll never forget my dad telling a story many years ago about how the finances weren't there to pay for all the bills for our church. And he began to describe this prayer meeting, this prayer moment in his office where him and God are just duking it out. He heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, I'm not freaking out. Why are you? And he looked and said, because you're God. That's why. Like, he says, you're not seeing things clearly, Peter. You're not seeing things clearly, Ryan. You're seeing things merely from a human perspective. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18 in the message paraphrase says, when people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he has revealed, they're the most blessed. That word blessed means to be content in my soul. But when I can't see what he's doing, I become a stumbling block just as Peter was. Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap. You're a stumbling block for me. You're seeing things merely from just the wrong point of view, not from God's. You're seeing things from what you deem matters to you rather than what I've said is supposed to matter to you. Verse 24, I'm almost done. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must disown. You must take up your cross and follow me and accompany me. When we hear cross, we think of it, this beautiful romantic thing that we put on our walls and we get pieces of jewelry on and we go, oh, the beautiful cross. But I remember when Jesus was saying this, the cross wasn't beautiful. It was actually the most gruesome way that you could die. It'd be like you and I going, oh, he's, what's that on your necklace? It's the electric chair. Isn't it beautiful? He's not describing something pretty. He's not describing something glamorous. He says, you must take up your cross and you must follow me. And then he says this, if you hang on, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. He's like, you can try hanging on, but you're going to die anyway. But if you give up your life for my sake, You'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I don't know if you can relate at all to Peter. I know that I can. I might not be able to relate in how brash he is at times, cutting off people's ears and kicking doors open and, and ready to strap up with the boys for Jesus, but what I can relate is feeling like God said something so clearly to me and then started feeling like everything around me started dying. Everything within me started dying. 
I don't know if you can relate at all to feeling like, man, I'm, I'm on fire for God, yet just to walk into the hardest, most difficult season of your life. I don't know, maybe you're there today. For me, this wrecked me like none other. Several years ago, we were pregnant with our third child, Stella. It's in 2017 in September. I'll never forget it. The, the time has burned into my brain. Because my wife, who was eight months pregnant at the time or seven and a half months pregnant at the time with Stella was going away for the weekend with my in-laws and our two other children at the time. And I remember when she got in the car and she left and I did as any husband would, I waved goodbye, I closed the door and I said, the dishes aren't getting done. You know what I'm saying? Stack them up, laundry on the floor, whatever it takes. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm going to go to bed when I want to go to bed. And that lasted about 30 minutes. And about 30 minutes to an hour later, something I'd never experienced before took place. I broke out into something I always heard say, said, but I never understood what it was, and that was something called a cold sweat. My heart began to race faster than it's ever raced before. And in a split second, I felt like I was dying and I had no idea what was going on. I could identify with Eminem, palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's about to be vomit on my sweater already. It was her spaghetti. No, I'm just kidding. But it was, welcome to my brain. This is why they don't let me preach, y'all. They're like, is it hip hop? Is it gospel? Is it, it's all the same in Jesus' name. I do those things just to keep me from crying. Anyways, we're going to keep going. My heart began to race. I picked up the phone. I called my wife. I said, hey, babe. She said, hey, is everything okay? I said, no, but I just need you to keep talking. And she began to talk to me. And she says, are you all right? I said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm freaking out. I began to shake uncontrollably. It's the middle of the day. I can't figure out what's really going on in that moment. And I've later found out that I was having what would be the first of several panic attacks. I remember I stayed on the phone long, long enough with her to calm down just enough to then take a few steps up the hallway and then I actually collapsed, no exaggeration, into the floor of our hallway. Panicked, freaking out, feeling like I was gonna die. I didn't know why. I didn't know what had happened, but I just knew that that was the case. I cried literally all day. I remember turning the, the, um, the stereo up as loud as I could just to try to praise away my panic and it didn't work. I remember opening up my Bible and flipping through page after page after page after page, and my eyes couldn't concentrate on Scripture long enough for there to be any sort of peace. I remember that night as I was just rocking back and forth, feeling like I was literally going through a nervous breakdown at the time. My phone rang, and it was my dad. And I said, hello. He said, hey, Ryan, what's going on? I said, well, Dad, I'm actually not doing too well. He said, well, I was just sitting here, and I felt the Holy Spirit say I'm supposed to call so I'm just calling, what's going on, bud? I said, I'm just freaking out, and I don't know why. He says, well, let me pray for you. And I put the phone on mute, and I, could, I cried uncontrollably as my dad began to pray for the peace of God to hit my life and to hit my spirit in that moment. And for that first time in that whole day, I experienced peace, and I fell asleep on the couch just to wake up the next morning and about two hours into my day to have what would be my second of several panic attacks. It was in that moment that I realized, you know what, I can't muscle this. If I feel like there's one thing that's wrong with a lot of the human condition today is we try to just suppress things rather than to address them. We try to muscle our way through something. 
And I realized very quickly, I may be slow, but I'm worth the wait. I'm going to get there eventually. And I, I knew I couldn't muscle this thing. I checked myself into counseling. I went and saw this Christian counselor. And as I sat across the, the um, lounge from her, and she asked me a series of questions. She said, I want to ask you something, Ryan. Do you believe the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And she says, do you believe the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She says, okay, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to the Holy Spirit in you. Now, this sounds like some exorcism stuff. You know what I mean? I said, we're not recording this, are we? Because I don't know what's getting ready to come out. (laughs) She looks at me and she says, Ryan, Holy Spirit, why is Ryan freaking out? Why is Ryan panicking? And it was like a damn burst. And I was just like, you know, I'm just like sobbing, ugly crying. I said, I'm just so afraid. I'm just so afraid. I'm just so afraid. This is what I just kept saying over and over and over again. And, I, and then I was afraid because I didn't know what I was afraid of. And then she said this phrase to me. She said, Ryan, this is what I want you to do over the next week. And I'm going to come, I'm going to see you next week. Because she was like, our time's up. You've been here too long. And she said, let me give you some homework. I want you to go on walks through your neighborhood. And I want you to ask God just one question. What are you trying to kill in me? I was like, do do you charge by the hour? Like I came all for ask God, what is he killing in me? She says, that's the only question I want you to ask. God, what are you killing in me? I said, okay. So I remember literally the next day waking up. You you can play because I've already gone over time. Somebody told my wife in the kids' ministry, I'm sorry. I'll apologize at lunch today too. But um, I remember walking the first lap in my neighborhood. And as I walked, I simply said, okay, this is a weird prayer to pray, but God, what are you killing in me? And I kid you not, two seconds later, control. I was like, that was too easy. I needed, it's never, when it happens that easy, then you really begin to doubt that it's God. That was just me. Because we're used to like, oh, if, if I haven't prayed and fasted and look all malnourished, then God can speak to me. I was like, that was too easy. God, what are you trying? What are you killing to me? Control. I was like, let's at least complete the loop, Jesus. Like, I just want to do one lap in the neighborhood. Took a few more steps. God, what are you killing to me? Control. Like, you got anything else with that? Because my mind works, aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit speaks in ways that are relevant to you? Like if you need a there, there, he'll give you one. And if you need a get your act together, he'll give you that too. He'll be as delicate as you'd like him to be. But because the Holy Spirit knows my brain, my brain works in phrases. And he gave me this phrase. He said, Ryan, the enemy of rest in your soul lies in your desire to be in control. But the reason why you're not able to experience this rest, this peace, and the reason why you're freaking out is you've suppressed this for so long, trying to muscle your way through, trying to be in control, and I'm trying to break control off of your life because really you're telling me that I'm your savior, but not your Lord. That you want the benefits that come with accepting me as your savior so where your eternity is spent, but rather you haven't surrendered your life completely as Lydia said so, so perfectly earlier. 
you haven't gone to this place of total surrender and there's no co-lordship. I'm either Lord or I'm not. Either you're in control or I'm in control. And I realized in that moment that God was trying to take control away from me, just as he was looking at Peter and saying, this, you're the rock that I'm gonna build my church on that hell's not gonna prevail against, but hey, it's not gonna look how you think it's gonna look. Things are gonna start dying. Things that you thought would be with you forever are gonna seem to fall off, but don't worry. My promise and my word will hold true, but you've gotta know that I'm in control, Peter, not you. I'm in control, Ryan, not you. And you're gonna drive yourself into a panic the longer you try to keep taking on control. And I realized that panic in my life was just a symptom of when I'm in control of my life versus in when Jesus is. And so my five minutes over time question to you is this, are you in control or is he? Because you can't have God's will your way. It's God's will, God's way, or your will, your way, either one, but the two are not interchangeable. Maybe you feel like Peter did, when you made me all these promises and yet you gotta tell me things are gonna start dying. And I'm in this panic and the panic is simply because I keep trying to keep control when you're asking me to let go. 